Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Sherry Duville. Sherry is the Chief Executive Officer of Medigram. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Jono. Yeah, I've been looking forward to chatting with you and it's been great already chatting before we, we clicked record. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was even just saying I need to really work on um, sticking to my half an hour uh, timeline because I can just tell it's going to be yeah, so much fun um, uh, chatting about your story. So I will do my best, um, but I should stop talking about that so we can jump into um, interesting things about Sherry. Let's start with um, what you do. So tell us about Medigram and, and anything else you want to share about what you do, Sherry. Oh, thank you. I'm CEO, uh, like you said, at Metagram. We are the mobile medicine company, and we exist to solve a leading cause of preventable death, which is a delay in information. Uh, And that's a a fact that's well known through the esteemed Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Uh, And the reason why this problem exists is because mobile phones that we use as consumers or even as businesses in a business-to-business context, they weren't made for a healthcare environment, whether it's a hospital or a physician's office or, or a clinic. And, and not only were the dev- devices not made for those environments, but also the applications are, are traditionally modeled after or ported over from, from a web app context. Uh, which also doesn't work in that environment. And and so the way that manifests for physicians is is that they're not able to access what they need uh, when they're on the go, which is all the time. They're never sitting at a desk. And and that's a challenge in terms of patient care because then they're not able to get what they need in a timely manner, which is why we still have this challenge in crisis of, of a leading cause of preventable death actually being a delay in information. Uh, And what we are doing at Metagram is helping to lead, uh, you know, with our ecosystem, you know, the concept of trustworthy, high quality, high integrity medical software as like a movement um, to support uh, what is referred to in the medical industry as the quadruple aim. And that is uh, the goals of improved care, lower costs, better quality and and better physician and patient experience. And and we're really motivated to do this, um, to solve uh, this problem for our family and friends who who are on the front lines of medicine. And that's a little bit about what we do. Wow, what an amazing, um, what an amazing company and an amazing mission, but also uh, an amazing um, and succinct explanation. I I love, I love that because I know leaders who are listening, should uh, should definitely uh, make a note to rewind and listen to how you did that again because um, that you just articulated the why behind your company beautifully um, and uh, yeah so thank you thank you for sharing that uh, let's jump into Sherry's story I, I want to ask um, about uh, going back to the start <laughs> so I want to ask you about you know when you were growing up what were some of the moments or themes from that season of your life that really shaped you into the person and leader you are today. 
Yeah, I feel, I feel like the luckiest person in the world, honestly, Jono. Uh, so I immigrated here and uh, I was adopted uh, from South Korea uh, to an American family. And I don't know if you heard in the news, but South Korea has been having tremendous uh, floods from a tsunami uh, with a lot of uh, challenges with power, power outages and things. And and I, I, so many things, you know, make me grateful, you know, to be able to have become a citizen here right in the US. And so, like I said, I was adopted by Americans. Uh, so I grew up uh, basically in uh, the ultimate situation of diversity because uh, it's an interracial family. Uh, so I also had uh, enormous exposure uh, to health issues uh, at a young age um, re uh, related to, to my mom's uh, disability. Um, and, and so, you know, having that experience of a lot of responsibility around that at a young age against a backdrop of, of relative um, privilege, you know, being able to immigrate to the U.S. Um, has been a really interesting paradox that has really ultimately um, been foundational, you know, to who I am. Um, and, and so I think, you know, the way that I um, was raised I was in an environment, a, a very strict environment uh, and household. Uh, we had a super strong work ethic um, and, and really high expectations around uh, not just academics. Uh, academics were, were sort of table stakes, uh, but also around competitive um, sports uh, and, and performing there, uh, as well as, you know, uh, showing up, you know, in a way that's respectful um, and having etiquette. Um, and, and so I think that um, my most formative experience uh, against, you know, that backdrop of, of, of living really a, a paradox of both challenges as well as, as privilege is, is really having a front row seat uh, to the gaps uh, in healthcare. And so, like I said, uh, I grew up with a disabled parent um, and, and a lot uh, comes with that. And it really triggered my passion really for improving healthcare, which has to be done um, now with, with technology, technology that's trustworthy. Yeah, wow, what an amazing story. Um, thank you so much for sharing. And uh, uh, I want to ask you more about um, about a specific moment, um, you know, that, that comes to mind, uh, particularly around the your passion for um, that, you know, seeing that gap in medicine and that gap in care. But um, the, the first question that popped into my head as you were talking about that is, you know, you talk about the hard working, the, the, the incredible work ethic, the strict household. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes people use those kind of words and it's, um, they talk about how that broke them. Whereas for you, it sounds like that really shaped you, um, in, and so that, that's my question. How, um, you know, has that had its challenges for you in terms of, um, you know, uh, like uh, work-life integration and um, or and how have you managed to be so resilient coming, um, you know, with those elements in, in your in, in growing up? Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think, it all, I, like I said, I'm the luckiest person in the world and it, it all has to do with context. And so I was very fortunate um, to early in my career work at Johnson and Johnson, and for over a decade in about a dozen disease states, and and I, I was also went through management, you know, development there. And I always joke about Johnson and Johnson because, uh, you know, very staid, uh, very storied brand, and uh, in, uh, inarguably um, the most conservative amongst the most conservative industry 
in the world <laughs> it is you don't get more conservative right than johnson and johnson and and the reason why i joke about my tenure there was because i i am like uh an off the charts innovator as what the, the way my talent coach uh, uh characterizes me because we do these assessments these talent assessments because we're super passionate about team composition and 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 designing and identifying the right teams for the right workflows and so i i always joke about um how can i be this really off the charts innovator and be tolerated within a system like johnson and johnson so i have to give them a lot of credit right but I, and and i do give them a lot of credit and to answer your question i think having a strict upbringing is what allowed somebody with my kind of innovation drive to to be able to conform and and be productive in that kind of environment and so because i've always been attracted to healthcare and worked in healthcare for the majority of my career uh, you don't get anywhere in healthcare in terms of building trust or or earning um, collaborations and, and partnerships and things like that without without understanding you know the regulatory environment and understanding quality and and really being able to be a person that that drives that forward whether you're the person yourself leading it or whether you're the person you know selecting the talent uh, to be able to to drive that forward but that is that's one gap. Um, mm. That's why I talk about trustworthy technology and medicine um, is that it has to be underpinned right by by quality and an understanding of regulatory and that and those that capability, I think I really owe to, you know, to to my father <laughs> being uh, he was a, a finance guy at Hewlett Packard for decades and and really, you know, lived his life with a tremendous amount of discipline. And I think that unless I'd had that role model and and those kinds of expectations i never would have understand understood these concepts of, of <laughs> compliance and quality that you have to have mm, yeah that's beautiful um <laughs> and uh so so let me ask you about a story can you think of a moment or a story you, you're talking about um how you you know you it was it was your upbringing and having a um a parent with a disability it really, you know, you saw this gap in, in healthcare. Are there any stories that stand out for some reason growing up where you saw that gap or you can just remember particularly being aware in a moment of this is not okay, why, why is it like this? Well, I, I became aware and something that's always stuck with me was that there's so my my mom was born without a slip disc in her back which is it can be a very painful manifestation especially as one gets older and and so i just remember that we had it seemed like we had four different opinions on a treatment plan from four different doctors including two that were the same specialty and i remember thinking to myself and it took so much time to try to decode why they were all making these different recommendations and and in particular the ones you know with the same specialty and and i remember thinking to myself why can't we get them all in a room together and and now that's what i'm working to do here at metagram right because it's basically like a virtual room but one that works when they're mobile which they don't have access to you know because of all the connectivity challenges and so that that's the way that i was you know deeply impacted by that experience yeah, I, I can, I, I just, um, I always really appreciate hearing 
um, stories from childhood that link so directly to the mission of, uh, of an organization. So I'm just, that's really just, uh, I've, I've just found that really profound learning that about Medigram and it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just very moving to hear you talk about it and, uh, and exciting as well, because I can see how you, I, I really believe that when you, when you're moving with that kind of mission and that kind of vision and, and history and behind where it comes from, you can do incredible things. And, and I can't wait to see how, um, how you, uh, your company, and, and also I can tell that it's, you know, your vision and, and mission is probably uh, pretty big, like you said, uh, being an innovator. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to see where that goes. <laughs> Um, I want to ask you about your dad. Yeah. You said super disciplined. Um, I can't help but ask this question as well because I, I do love these stories. Any examples of, of that super discipline that really stands out in your mind it, that, that taught you what it is to be disciplined and, and that really has carried over into how you lead a company and, and your work at Johnson & Johnson, you know, and any stories about your dad's discipline that stand out? Well, I think that he, he was always very clear about, you know, what he expected, you know, us, you know, in terms of our roles and responsibilities, you know, within, within the household, we always knew what he was going to think. And we always knew if he was going to be um, satisfied or dissatisfied based on what, what we all expected about how we would spend our time and and what kind of chores you know we would do and we always earned everything and so i was but like i said i i grew up in a situation i consider to be a relative privilege if you look at the whole world right and you see how much people are struggling you know with floods and and being just dis, displaced and things like that but at the same time it was by no means i grew up in silicon valley and i was by no means of any stretch anything close to what what they would consider spoiled in that particular culture. And so, I mean, I bought my own car when I turned 16. And so it was just uh, the, the ethos of, uh, you know, you, everything, you know, that you, that you earned that, that you, that you got, you know, that you, you would earn it and you knew you earned it. Um, and that there was just always clear expectations in terms of what priorities were in ter terms of uh, getting a great schoolwork, uh, spending time, you know, practicing um, your sport, uh, and and doing well there, um, as well as whatever chores we were signed up for, and then we had we did have allowance, pretty modest allowance, and then if we you know completed the chores you know successfully and satisfactorily, we would get the allowance, and and if we you know decide if it, it was some sort of chore that was not considered mission critical, like for example, I think I I did dusting for a while, and and sometimes I would actually negotiate with my dad, like you know I'm super busy, I have finals. I have a, I have a, 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 a tournament all weekend uh, playing soccer and we would even negotiate like, hey, if I didn't have time that I also wouldn't earn the uh, the allowance, right? If I didn't do the, the associate chores. So I appreciated that, you know, it seemed very fair in, for the most part and it also seemed very clear. And I, and that is, those are also things that I strive for when I'm working with people <laughs> is to be extremely clear and, yes. and, and fair at the same time. Yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, I, I, it reminds me of um, the book Blue Ocean Strategy, which I really appreciate that the framework in the book about um, innovative strategic planning and um, and there's a great uh, section about how to really take people on the journey. And, and the key word in that whole thing, which they talk about, is why don't people buy in when you're doing transformation across an organization? 
is um, this idea of unfairness. If there's anything that seems unfair to us as people, then we disengage. We we you know you lose trust, etc. And so I can I, I just think it's wonderful that from such a young age you were you, it was modelled to you how to how to be super clear and really fair with expectations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm blessed. Yeah. So um, I, there's so many different questions I could ask. Uh, let me. Let me ask you about, instead of going into sort of your background, and like I said before we started the podcast, um, I'd love to invite you back for for a part two at some point and we can maybe talk a bit more about your journey before Medigram. Um, so that invitation's there for you. Um, but uh, I, I want to ask you yeah. specifically about how Medigram, like do you remember and can you tell us about the, the first time you had the idea or the first time you realized, wait a second, this actually might be something that, that, uh, you know, isn't just an idea, but, but really can work. Like, tell us a bit about the, how Medigram came to be. Well, yeah, Medigram's had a, quite an evolution and we're on our third generation platform. And, and so to be clear too, I was hired by the founder, a very talented medical student at the time who'd taken a leave of absence um, from Stanford Medicine, because when he went to do his rotation at County, they gave him a pager and he didn't know what it was, you know, given his age coming from Harvard to Stanford, he wasn't expecting to get a pager. Uh, and and he's so what he hired me to do was with my health healthcare background uh, and work with physicians and hospitals uh, to do market research and also uh, some sales with them and, and interact with investors. Uh, and so when I knew that the business had tremendous potential was one of the first studies that I did with a, a round table of physicians, you know, um, exploring how they were dealing with, with this issue today. Uh, and then, you know, showing them the demo that we had at the time and seeing their response. So you have to remember, I worked at Johnson Johnson for over a decade in a dozen disease states. And, and I was fortunate to, to have a lot of success there. And, and certainly enjoyed the stories of patient lives being transformed, um, even you know, some patient, patient lives being saved uh, from various therapies uh, that, that we were um, you know, producing and, and, and marketing at Johnson & Johnson. And, and I, I, I mean this with, with every, every fiber of my being, which was so interesting and unexpected, was that I had never seen physicians get so excited about something because if you know physicians and you work with them very closely they they are god love them uh the most but the most amongst the most skeptical people in the world <laughs> and you know and and, and <laughs> skeptical and <laughs> i i don't know how much you've worked with them right and so it's startling when you see them actually get really excited about something and that was the moment that i really knew that this uh, I had no idea how challenging it would become uh, in terms of, you know, marrying really IT with physicians, which isn't uh, something that's been done super successfully in the past. Uh, but I knew that it just had uh, had so much tremendous force in terms of, um, of, of, of a need, of a huge need. And that, that was really what I knew. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and, and so... Uh, where do you see, you know, you're an innovator. Um, 
you know, where do you see the future when it comes to technology and, um, uh, you know, medicine? Uh, wh where do you see it going? Not just, you know, in the short term, but, um, you know, what are the possibilities in 20, 30, 50 years? I, I love thinking about far off future. So I can't help but ask that question because I'm sure you've thought about it. Yeah, thank you. So the future I'm working towards, I'm I also I'm fortunate to be co-chair of an IEEUL joint venture, which if you're familiar with IEEE, they do a lot of the technical standards. They did 802.11, uh, which is how we connect uh, a lot of the time. Uh, and, and so I'm working on a standard for clinical IoT, which is just an advanced form of mobility, clinical meaning for medicine. And the standard uh, subject is trust, identity, privacy, protection, safety, and security. Uh, and so like many people, I dream of a seamless, interoperable, mobile, almost ambient computing environment. And, and we, we could, in theory, have that, and it's possible, uh, even with some of the basic uh, technologies we have available to us today, uh, but the challenge is that a lot of those technologies are not truly trustworthy, and there is a lot of fallout uh, of un even unintended consequences, you know, things like a lack of privacy, as well as a lack of, of actual reliability and, and, and lots of different different dimensions. And so where I see the future of the potential for medical technology is to, to make it radically more ubiquitous and more, uh, more mobile, not just mobile in terms of apps, but also in terms of IoT, uh, though in order to make that work, uh, we have to radically increase the trustworthiness uh, and the quality uh, of the, uh, especially on the software side. And so I, I do see that happening. I'm actively working to, to help make that happen. And, and I think that it, it, it will extend beyond healthcare in terms of um, not necessarily the company Metagram extending beyond healthcare, but I think in terms of the trustworthy technology paradigm is something we have to have anytime you have a mission critical um, you know, do or die scenario. Like um, I think autonomous vehicles is another good example where I think we'll see a lot of evolution and change in the way that the computing has historically been addressed. And so that's really where I see the future really bifurcating between something like um, we do for leisure, like, um, you know, a lot of cybersecurity um, and national security experts will tell anybody that will listen to, for example, delete TikTok, because TikTok introduces a lot of risk at multiple levels, at the software level, at the firmware level, at the hardware level, and, and is, is a challenge from a national security perspective. Um, and so there is, I think, going to be a huge bifurcation between those technologies that introduce tremendous risk um, and that are either unregulated or lightly regulated, and then this movement towards a, a much more quality-centric, trustworthy computing paradigm, um, and that we'll see tremendous growth in that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think um, my observation, not being in the industry, but just as a as a consumer, and um, I think is that in the in the past, um, you know, there just there hasn't ever been the um, What's the what's the word that um, uh, like the 
the the level of the level of risk from technology ten years ago, twenty years ago, not being secure. Um, I I just don't think it was. Uh, I, I'm trying to think if it was there or not. Probably not because it, technology just didn't hold everything together as much as it does now. And as a result, uh, you know, any organization and every organization that's successful, once again, if I go back to Blue Ocean Strategy, that idea of like, um, where's the blue ocean? And I think in technology, not just in medicine, but across the board, that the blue ocean is in being able to say to consumers, you are completely... Uh, completely safe, completely private, your your data. Like that, if someone can, you know, at, well, when organizations can work out how to do that, they'll leave others behind. And and um, anyone who can't do that or can't offer that will, um, like, I, I think that's the, so that's why I think it's so exciting what you're working on because once, once you have that platform, um, that solves the pain points, but is also, like you said, really has that um, incredibly secure and thought out, you know, whereas so much technology has all these gaps in it that, that can be um, abused. I think um, I think it's going to be a big leap forward. And I think organizations that aren't doing that are going to be left behind. I, I completely agree. and And I just think that you know, uh, the one thing I can tell you is I, I do, I, I always strive to be super precise. And so the, there is no such thing as like totally secure, but there is such a thing mm. as high quality and trustworthy. And there's a huge difference between an organization that's designed for and committed to high quality practices and one that is just kind of got a reckless theme to the way that they develop technology. And then in addition, it's also, you know, what is the value proposition? And in the case of Metagram, we do not sell and will not sell or share the data that physicians, you know, populate about patients. And so that just in and of itself, right, is a totally different level. But then on top of that, you know, having that commitment to quality and, and also trust, you know, the thing is, if you need a huge challenge with digitizing healthcare has been that you've got to give the doctors a reason tr to trust you. Like what basis do they have? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for clarifying that. It's, it's great. Um, it's really important that you clarified that as someone from the, from the industry to say, actually, no, you, you, there, there's no such thing as totally secure. There's just high quality and trustworthy and, and, and not, <laughs> um, so let's, uh, as we, as we wrap up a few, we've got a couple more minutes. Um, I just want to do some leadership express questions. Um, so the first one is what's a book, or there might be a couple that you have gifted to other people or recommended a lot to other people. <laughs> so I, I have to plug my books. Uh, and so I, a couple of them, I convened yeah. 25 and, and 27 industry leaders, uh, 27 for the first one called mobile medicine which has been a long-term bestseller on Amazon for, for medical informatics. Um, and then the other one um, is Advanced Health Technology, and it just released as a number one uh, new release for medical technology on Amazon as well. And so those two. Uh, and then I have a mentor. Uh, I have many, many mentors. But my mentor in terms of books is a gentleman named Ed Marks, and he's got a couple books called, one's called Voices of Innovation, 
and one is called Healthcare Digital Transformation. And, and there's lots of other, uh, mostly around dealing with people uh, and, and human elements uh, that, that I could also recommend. Yeah, no, they're, they're great recommendations and always okay to recommend your own books because you've poured so much of yourself into them. Um, <laughs> next, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're obviously the ones you're going to be, you know, telling people about the most. Um, so next question for you, what is, uh, you know, do you have any favorite quotes? Are there any, are there any quotes that you tend to use a lot or, you know, have framed up in your office kind of level of, of love for the quote? So, what, so one of my uh, co-authors, uh, who's been a, a close collaborator over several publications, is a gentleman named William Harding, uh, and he he's a, a distinguished technical fellow uh, at a company called Medtronic. Uh, but he shared with me a quote yesterday, and I, it's it's and and it's very timely because it's quick, you know, rapidly became my favorite quote, and that is, "Great leaders are not the best at everything." They find people who are best at different things and get them all on the same team. And I guess that's from a book by somebody named mm. Gifford Thomas. Uh, but like I said, sent to me by my co-author. But I am obsessed with teams. Uh, and so I just I love that quote because, you know, individuals can win races, but teams win uh, championships. Oh, yeah, that's great. I'm definitely going to be... Uh... I'm going to be looking that up and using that. I love that. That's a wonderful quote. Thank you. Uh, what about favorite questions when you're with a group of stakeholders, when you're in a one-on-one -on -one with one of your team, when you're um, with uh, with the wider team? Are there any questions that you think, oh, yeah, that's probably a bit of a, a go-to question that Sherry asks? <laughs> Why well, I, I copy one of my... Uh... One of my mentors, a gentleman named Wim Rolance, who got me into the habit of asking, how did I celebrate if, it, when you, if you have a win? If you do, you know, something works out well uh, and you worked really hard at something that to make sure that you savor it uh, and celebrate it. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. Like, you know, for big things, you know, obviously a nice dinner is, is, is nice, but you know, for us, there's even um, like a sparkling rosé that you can get for $17 at, at Trader Joe's and it doesn't take up time, but just making sure that you take a moment, you know, and make a habit of celebration. There's a lot of science behind it about why it's important uh, for, for morale, uh, for teamwork, uh, for performance. Uh, and so definitely, if you ask anyone on my team, um, they'll, they'll, they'll probably ask about me asking how they celebrate it yeah that's a great question how do you celebrate wins what do you do i love that um <laughs> there's also a yeah there's a sparkling uh there's a sparkling um chardonnay a sparkling pinot noir here here in australia by wolf blast that's like 12 dollars, and that's so funny because that's also what um my wife uh, liz and i it's like our go-to for you know if you just want to just uh, feel, you know, like you're celebrating something, but really like without actually, without actually having to break the bank. So it's funny how these exist across the world in different places. You go to um, a cheap bottle of sparkling to celebrate a win. I love that. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll fit in two more questions and then uh, as we wrap up. M-U-M-M. Yeah, M -U -M -M. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Good recommendation yeah, as well. Very good. Even wine sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's always the test. Um, so 
uh, here's a question that this could be lighthearted or it could be a serious answer. Uh, any movies or TV shows that are favorites for you or for some reason really impacted you? Well, so my, the one that I recommend the most that I absolutely love is I, I've been a long-term fan of Isaac Asimov and, and Apple TV released the foundation. I don't know if it was last year or, or I think it was last year. Right. Um, but what I love about it is that, um, I don't know, have you watched it at all? Are you familiar with the foundation? No, no, I'm not. Maybe. So the foundation is, yeah, science fiction, but it's about this fictional empire uh, that's a constellation of, of universes. And the thing about this fictional empire is that it's a succession of carbon copy, uh, literally, um, you know, replica leaders that are replicated in the lab over generations. And it's very um, authoritarian um, and and very central, highly centralized, where there's only you know a very small population leading, and they're very disconnected um, from you know the constellation of universes that fall under what's called the empire. And the, so the reason why I like the show is because as a leader, you know you have all these different stakeholders that 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 you you need to align with. And that you need to, some of them are, you're going to please, some of them you're not going to please, right? And in my context, you know, you have investment population, and then you have the incredibly mind-boggling diverse population of the healthcare workforce sector. And then you have IT, and you've got cybersecurity, and you've got physicians, and you've got all these different people. And these are all these are all different planets. And, and so the thing I like about the foundation is that it provides really nice and super specific analogies that you can have these discussions with people, uh, particularly on the engineering side when you're dealing with different stakeholders and, and it's depolarizing um, and it's fun, right? And, and so it, finding those ways of talking about some of these very real issues that impact ability to affect you know, great teamwork um, is, is why, um, that, you know, the foundation is probably my most recommended show at this point. Yeah, I'm 100% going to check it out. I, I agree. There's something about, um, you, you know, it's the same with reading a book or watching something together that can then give you some handles to have really hard conversations, but it makes it really easy because you're not, you're not reflecting on yourselves. You know, you're reflecting on something that was on the screen, even though, you know, it actually does reflect on, on, uh, on you at some level and there's something about that that's very disarming and, and it really just helps to to have hard conversations so I'll, I'll check that out that's a great recommendation um last question uh so i see i'm already over i'm, I'm at 34 minutes because i'm just uh enjoying it so much sherry so i'll try to uh make this the last question if you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader what would you say to them So the one piece of advice that I wish I had learned far earlier is the importance of lifting as you climb uh, and, and because you need a lot more capacity than what you have that you can bring to the table and, and the way to unlo unlock that and, and work with other people is to make sure that you're instrumental in building them and, and lifting them up, you know, and then that, that way, two things happen. First, you'll never be lonely. 
uh, because you're always be <laughs> interacting with brilliant people, hopefully. And, and then I'll say you dramatically improve your chances for success at everything. Like the, the books I said, I worked with 25 and 27 co-authors on them. And I'm sure it would, they would not be bestsellers if it weren't for the quality, you know, of, of, of the co-authors. Right. And I'm happy that they get something out of it at the same time. Absolutely. That's so good. Wonderful advice. Um, for those who really enjoyed today, how can people find you online and, and follow you or, you know, find your books? Oh yeah. So I'm, 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 uh, the books are both available on Amazon, uh, you know, for lay people, um, and mobile medicine and advanced health technology. And, and they're also searchable under my name, Sherry Duville, S-H-E-R-I, last name D-O-U-V-I-L-L-E. And it's also, that's my, also my Twitter handle. I do tweet pretty profusely um, my less traditional material that is just like kind of top of mind. I'm also on Medium, uh, which is some of my edgier material up to date also lands on Medium. The thing about my books is that they are published by Taylor and Francis, which is uh, like the the third highest um, rated academic publisher after Oxford and Cambridge. And so they're highly edited, um, very useful, obviously, for medical people in medical technology. Um, and then it's outside of Amazon, they're also available on Routledge, which is the Taylor and Francis press site. Um, and then for academia, um, most academic institutions, you know, have contracts uh, with these academic publishers. And so they're available, you know, for academia on, on the academic sites of, of Taylor and Francis, but I'm, I can be found on Twitter, um, on medium and then on, on LinkedIn, all, all found searchable by my name and, and I'm, I'm very active there. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of people checking that out. Um, uh, I just want to thank our listeners for tuning in. What a great episode to, you know, from Sherry, uh, talking about um, her upbringing and just uh, you know hearing about her her mum and her dad and just how um, yeah just the impact the influence they've had on her life and also on uh, on her mission and vision it has been really special um, for our listeners don't forget I also have the John O White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast uh, they're two other places you can go to continue to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Sherry, for being so generous with your time, uh, for sharing wonderful wisdom. And yeah, it's been, it's been a real joy to, uh, to spend time with you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It, it was a pleasure and honor. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. 
I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and, and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. 95% uh, of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. 
Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.